thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to play! Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. And on this week's episode, we are happy to welcome back to the show the co-director of Barbed Wire City, John Filipavich. John, welcome. Thank you, uh, both to Guy and to Craig. It's good to hear you guys again. Can I I, I want to hijack... I'm sorry. I just want to hijack your show for for a minute or two. Oh, please. You got an hour. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay, well, when you... (laughs) <laughs> when you reached out to me, I haven't done a, one of these interviews in a while. And uh, when when you reached out to me, I was like, oh, well, that's the one of the shows I actually remember that I really liked. And um, I wanted to see what you guys had been up to. So two things caught my eye. One is that I cracked up when I when I was going through your archive and I saw the write-up for, for my first interview in May. And it mentioned uh, something about Raven, and I thought that was really funny. Yes. <laughs> the difficulties in dealing with Raven. Yes. Um, and the other thing is that I saw a review of The Wrestler. So I figured, oh, I want to see what Guy and Craig are up to. So I listened to that today while I was doing some chores and driving around. And I, first of all, I loved it, and I really liked that movie. But I have some quarrels with you guys. Ooh, that I, want I to like talk this. About. All right. I, this is I, good. I, number, number one, I uh-huh. believe that Randy the Ram would not use either. Those torn trunks. You, you believe that you probably he don't even remember what I'm talking yeah, about. I know, no, I know what you're saying because I said that you know he should have sold them on eBay. Um, and yeah. you're saying that you don't think he he was, yeah. I mean, he didn't have a computer for God's sakes, yeah. Well, exactly. And by the way, I'm doing this with half, half a smile, don't no, worry. No, no. I'm not I, seriously <laughs> being because I actually I loved, I actually did really love the, the review. Look, I'm uh, not very reasons, far. I'm not very far from where you live. Don't don't throw down <laughs> over the wrestler. No, um, no. <laughs> I, I, I think you're right, except for I think he would have given it to one of those small-time promoters to sell on eBay. Okay. See, here's my, th- my thinking. Uh, see, I wanted to, like, start talking to my iPod today. and not in a ma- I wanted to get in on this conversation with you guys. And then I had to realize, A, that you're on my iPod, and B, that you taped this months ago. Right. Um, I, was, I was like, oh, man, I'd love to chime in on this, because I've been in, like, these low-level uh, low or mid-level indie locker rooms, and I have a few people in random parts of the, the business because of the documentary and just socially. Um, I don't, I think that Randy the Ram, yeah, he's like one of those old school guys who like lives in a trailer. That's why he has like the, the NES because he's just like, I mean, he talks about like 90s suck, 80s rule, you know. I think a lot of times with these people, they don't like even evolve, not all of them evolve with the technology. Mm-hmm. Sure. And usually, usually it's, 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 I'll, I'll term it politely as like a liaison, but it's like, some people have like hangers on slash fanboys and some are just like really cool involved fans. And I've seen both. And those are the people that get the old guys and like turn them on to stuff. Like Scott Hall didn't even know that like Twitter really existed until like he right. sobered up and somebody would just was like, here's this machine, sit in front of it and don't drink. And now he's on Twitter all day. <laughs> so my guess is that they don't depict him as, as, as uh, having any, any kind of connection. No. So I don't think that he would sell something on eBay. Don't I thought you, it was an interesting discussion point. Don't you think he got that uh, that, that uh, NES for free when the game came out in the 80s? Yes. Yeah, totally. He's <laughs> totally... Oh, and also, I do think that he would use his shoot... His, uh, not shoot name, his his uh, character name on, on his... Um, at his regular place of employment. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was a comment about, like, isn't it yeah. odd that he would want that? I think that he would. Because he comes from a generation, he's depicted as somebody, you guys brought it up too, very astutely, that like, this is really bored. The way Aronofsky did it was he was trying to say without saying like, yeah, this guy worked for the WWE, mm-hmm. right. you know, kind mm-hmm. of. You know, he worked at Madison Square Garden, and he was an 80s guy. He's basically on a parallel level, it would seem, with somebody like a Coco Beware or a Tito Santana or a Greg the Hammer Valentine. You think that low so, on the card? Well, 
you know, those guys held the Intercontinental title, and I think that the wasn't wasn't the the reference early on. I know they don't really go to it a lot, but right. he, he was like an Intercontinental champion matches. Maybe he wasn't a holder. You might yeah, be like, I just I felt like he was. I felt that the character wasn't Hogan, but I thought I, I felt like it was somebody, mm-hmm. maybe uh, Kurt Henning level. You know, somebody that. Uh, I mean, he just seemed to me like he was a bigger star. And I know, I know Coco's made the hall of fame, but I just, I, I just, I felt like this is a guy and you've, you've been to these, uh, these, these arena shows and you've, you've interviewed people yeah. in them in these small little, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, VFW hall or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've been to ones that Coco's there and, and he doesn't draw. This guy seemed like he had at least a little drawing power. A little for this little. Yeah, well, well, they do depict a, a really depressing, like old timer fan convention. Oh, that was, and that's just that might be more promotion. I've never you seen know, one like pretending. that. I've never seen one that no. was that unattended. I've been to a few that are kind of like I was in one in June, and I went up with my buddy uh, the Meanie. Was this and, the one um, in, in Monroe? Yeah, yeah, I talked to you. I was there with my son. We talked for a few minutes. Oh, we're, um, dude, I. <laughs> no, it's okay. I you meet a million it. people at those things. Well, yeah, well, that's the funny thing. You don't realize. Like, I'm very much a people person. Right. And I always assumed, like, you get an ego and you don't care about people, and that's why you don't remember things. Like, like I understand if it was like, hey, I'm the guy who yelled at you as you crossed the street. You're not going to remember that. But I always assumed if you had a conversation with somebody. Right. You know, I've never before this experience not remembered somebody I had a conversation with. They don't, as long as they give me some kind of a trigger word. No, but I get this because no, I get this because I had conversations with three or four people that day. You had conversations with two or three hundred people that day. Yeah, yeah, and it sucks because then you feel like a jerk because you you realize you're like, oh, it's like really hard. But you were very, you were very complimentary about the show, and you said you were going to see if Kevin would come on sometime. I again, I did try this week, and uh, and he would not. <laughs> I asked him. I got him on the phone late Sunday night, and I said, "Hey," and I told him, I "Remember that show? I thought that would be the one show where you'd feel comfortable." And blah blah blah. And I gave him a whole like pitch, and I said, "Do you want to hang out and do that show on you know on Wednesday?" And he's like, "Ah, I don't." I said, "Well, Kevin, if you don't want to, I'm not gonna, you know, yeah. no, we don't push want- you, you know." And he just goes, "No." <laughs> <laughs> He just doesn't want to do any media stuff, you know. Yeah. I should just start recording when we ha- when when the film comes up uh, and we're on the phone. I should just have some kind of secret recording device because he's actually really well spoken about it and it says interesting things. But yes. he doesn't want to say anything publicly. So whatever. You know. Let, let's um, uh, let's get to the. So the last time I saw you was at that that convention in Monroe. Um, and, uh, prior to that, we had talked to you the day before you had the, uh, show in New York city. You were screening the film in New York. Oh, that's right. Okay. I knew it was in early May, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we, I think we, to be honest, I think we had taped it like a week before, but it was, it was aired the day before. And, uh, how did that screening go? Do you have uh, fond memories of it? Um, I've, it's like a mixed bag in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you care about money, and to some degree I think we all do, and that's like this weird nuanced thing where I feel like people are either like, you care about money or you don't, and I don't think that's true. I'd say 15% of me wants to be compensated, fairly, whatever that might be. Um, and then the rest of me just cares about doing things, being happy you know, every day, doing something that I find worthwhile, creatively, fulfilling, you know, working with other people that I, I think are worthwhile, doing something that matters to me. You know what I mean? Um, so, like, other than smaller indie films that Kevin and I had made, and I mean real low-level stuff, uh, when we were working together in our late teens and early 20s, we didn't really have any screenings, especially not that were, like, not of films that, you know, obviously we sold films to, like, people in Israel and Australia and the UK and all kinds of crazy places. And that's very, like, shocking and humbling to me. Um, And kind of overwhelming, you know. I still think of myself as, like, you know, that 18-year-old kid. So, we've had screenings in our hometown for things that we did that we kind of set up or somebody locally kind of set up. And you get a few hundred people. You know, because it's a local thing, and a lot of your friends come. And sure. It's not about, you know, making money, but it's fun, and you feel proud, you know. 
Uh, and this is so different because, like, uh, the last time I was on, we talked about that premiere, which, uh, am, I, am I right that one or both of you were guy? Were you at that? I was at that. I can, I can still feel the excitement and smell the Porta Johns. <laughs> <laughs> that, right. Yeah, that I was. Mean, the Porta Johns smelled horrific in that building. And I didn't I go in them. A... I didn't even go near them. I, honestly, it wasn't the Porta Johns. Oh, well, what I, Yeah, I'm. Why don't you why don't you tell me the secret behind this? Because I sat there the whole time being like, Man, it smells awful in here. This is the whole place stinks. Is, is there a language? No, there's no, on, there's on... not. You can say okay. what say what it is. All right. There was a dude. Oh no. Who was oh, wearing, no. I don't uh, like this. I don't like this story. <laughs> there, was a, there was a guy you may have seen who was who did not take care of himself in many ways. And one of them was he was just a very large, you know, lumbering around uh, gentleman. And uh, he was wearing, appropriately enough, an uh, old CCW T-shirt. And uh, we, uh, after a while of you know smelling this, we figured out that it was him, nicknamed him the Shit Monster. <laughs> and uh, and uh, apparently, if you were within twenty, I don't even know how this guy, treated, you know, <laughs> disregarded his body and everybody else so badly. But if you were within twenty feet of that guy, he, that's that's what smelled. Get out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know for I don't think I ever. I was near the porta potties a few times because there was like a merch table near there. Yeah, I never smelled the porta potties. In fact, I I was in towards the end of the night. I, I ran into one to take a piss, and I didn't really smell anything. I mean, they right. have air fresheners. Well, yeah, like, I mean, I, porta um, johns usually aren't 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 terrible. I mean, they're you know they're yeah. a, a terrible last resort. But uh, as yeah. as far as things go, they they shouldn't smell like that. And I remember at one point uh, I went over and I talked to Meanie, who was standing near them, and it didn't get stronger when I went over there, which shocked me. I was I was thinking this has to be where it's coming from. I I can't believe this was one human being. He can't be alive anymore. There, yeah, things had to be rotting on the on the outside and the inside. Well, yeah, it brought up an interesting discussion between uh, our, our brain trust about like how uncaring of yourself and like how like we wonder how oblivious he is. Like if I can smell that and I'm not standing next to him, like how is this? How is this person doing this? How does he not smell it? Yeah. Because well, I mean, I, re I realize that we don't smell our body, our personal body odors in the same quite way. And I'm not a scientist either, but but um. Do you think I, we I smell like, it less than other people do? I think we do slightly, but we're still right. aware of it. Like if you mm -hmm. if you work outside all day and you take off your shirt, you you smell something. You know, other people might be like, "Oh my god, you stink." But you're like aware of it, you know what I mean? And especially See, at that level, at that nuclear level, that dude yeah. had to know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he didn't care. Yeah, I, I was having a conversation with somebody about this the other day, and I can't remember who. But I, I, we came to the conclusion that it's possible that you reach a point where you smell something for so long that you no longer are aware of it. Like imagine you go in a room that has an apple pie and you smell it for, you know, half the day. By the end of the day, you're not really noticing no, the smell of that you, apple pie you, anymore. That's a great point. Have you ever done the thing where you're in a room, like uh, this happened a lot when I was in, you know, like uh, junior high or whatever. You'd have a friend over and you'd shut yourself into like the den and you'd shut the door and you'd sit there and play video games for hours. And then you'd go out of the room and get some cookies and you'd walk into that room and go, oh, my God. Oh. What, what happened in this room? And you realize this stale, gross odor was in there with you. It was from you, but it was from two guys in a sweaty room for hours. And, you know, it smells like feet and body odor and everything else. And you you had to walk out and walk back in. That guy can't ever walk out. He's always <laughs> right. in. Well, yeah, he needs a comparison, and he's just it's on him so yeah. he can't have a comparison i don't know i yeah. i uh i always think about like if, if you ever meet a janitor they tend to smell so much like the the best perfume and cologne in the world just to a degree that it's like oh please you you got too much back up and i think uh and craig and i have discussed this at length i think it's just that it's constantly is that me it can't be me is that trash can or me i'm just gonna spray some more on you know, I think there's just this. We, I gotta, I gotta keep smelling fresh. I've done this one though. Have you ever done the thing where you go to work or you go to wherever you're going and you, you're like on the road and you're like, I didn't put deodorant on. I got distracted after I got out of the shower. Something was on the TV. The phone rang. Whatever. I threw my shirt on. I never put the deodorant on. And you, and you really start being very aware of it. 
totally. Yes, I've actually, I've, I've been at friends' houses. I'll, I'll one-up you. I've been <laughs> at friends' houses where I've realized that, and I had to do the debate of whether I steal, what's the ethical, <laughs> to how close am I to this person, and how acceptable is it for me to steal their deodorant if it's not a spray-on? Yeah. And, and fix this problem that I've created for myself. I I remember one time being like, well, I could I could go out to the store. There's probably a store nearby I could buy some, or I could just put on every outfit I have in my car, just throw one jacket over another, and maybe that'll that'll mask it. Or I could just walk around with my arms down all day, <laughs> and I'm real tight to my sides. I don't know. That's that's horrific. Okay, but I do remember uh, that premiere, and I remember just how amazing it was to go into that building again. You know, I mean, that was that was really, really something. And I thought that the the Q and A afterwards, I thought was so fantastic. Uh, have you really? done? And yeah, I just I remember really liking Bruce Mitchell. I thought Bruce Mitchell was just great and he's a guy who i had listened to before and i i never really had much of a of an opinion of him one way or another but i really thought he was great on that panel i love bruce but you're the first person to tell me that I, well i it, guess it's because most people are talking to me since they they i think they subconsciously think that i would have a bias for ecw mm-hmm. um and because like I, bruce's big thing there was somebody totally trolled him and i know the guy um, he was trying to start uh, something between, you know, Mike Johnson, the PW Insider, and Bruce, um, and Tony, actually, Tony Lewis, the fan organizer, um, regarding the Mass Transit thing. And, like, Bruce yeah. had the balls to not, even go, to not just go as an invited guest to, to the premiere, but also stand up on that panel and say how he felt all these years later about it. And it's such a contentious thing, but... I thought it was cool that Bruce did that. And I know some people were like, oh, look at him finger-wagging and blah, blah, blah. And I was oh, like, yeah. well, what you, no, I mean, he, did, you he, want, did you want him to just, because he was in this situation, to just go, no, nah, it's cool. Yeah, no, nah, oh. I take back everything I said for years. I, I, I would have you know, respected him less for that. Sure. And, and I, I mean, for, for everybody that wasn't there, um, the crowd laughed at New Jack when he said, you know, uh, I stabbed him and I'm going to Disneyland and all that. The crowd laughed because this was a crowd that uh, it was that first of all knew that incident well and knew New Jack and didn't have uh, you know that was funny to them you know and New Jack's charming and, charming. and funny and uh, and Bruce just you know laid it out that if you had just seen that clip you wouldn't think it's so funny um, it's interesting I have seen that I've seen that clip a few times and it's 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 bad but it's not the worst New Jack thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, this says something about New Jack. Then. I mean, That's you, you know what I'm talking about. There are oh, multiple. Yeah. If you type into YouTube, uh, New Jack tries to kill a man in the ring, you find multiple different one. videos you can watch. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a few where I was just like, oh my god. I mean, the one yeah. with uh, with with the guy, uh, the older guy who is like 50 or 60 years old. Gypsy yeah, Joe. Yeah. That one is disturbing. <laughs> and Gypsy Joe no selling is just hysterical and weird. That's the aluminum bat, right? Yes. Oh. He just clocks him upside the head a few times. Yeah, I don't know he, how you Gypsy do that Joe, and don't think you're going to kill the guy. Gypsy Joe's been half dead since about 92. So maybe <laughs> he's just he's numb and he didn't feel it. And I hope he's okay. I, I or, or wait, is that. Joe even alive anymore? I don't. I haven't. I've, uh, I, I'm don't have sure my Google alert set to Gypsy Joe. <laughs> <laughs> the Gypsy Joe Google alert would be awesome. <laughs> You'd just get one alert, which is when he goes eventually. All right, it's the only thing, unfortunately. So. I, uh, there's but, also that other one and, and you may know the name. It was, a uh, like an indie wrestler. And I mean, he stabbed him several times. This was, yeah, it, was in, it was in Georgia and I don't know the guy's name. I was actually, Oh, that was one of the times that we were down negotiating something with RF. Like I think it happened in 04 or early 05 mm-hmm. because he had the tape. It was the first time I'd see the tape. And I, I don't think YouTube existed yet. And, um, he showed him, he popped in the tape. And Kevin and I were just like aghast. And I'm like, why, why did he do that? And Rob told me that I, I, I should probably not quote this only because I don't remember the particulars and it's like, uh, it's, it's hearsay. That's fair. But I, he, he said that he was on some kind of a drug. He said, mm-hmm. uh, he called Jack and asked him about it when he saw the tape. And Jack was like, oh man, I was high on blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like it just isn't, like in the side as he went on with his, his talking. Right. 
Yeah. It, and he said it like, oh, man, I had popcorn that night. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird thing when you when you mention that to people, you know, you're like, oh, and, you know, they talk about that time that uh, that New Jack almost killed that kid. And, and they're like, oh, which which kid, which, uh, which one, which yeah. one was that? Um, yeah. But it, and then the other thing about him is that, you know, you can watch other stuff and he seems to be a competent worker. You know, I mean, there's there's other occasions that are countless where you can watch where he appears to be to a degree protecting his opponent and, you know, and working like a regular professional wrestler, at least, you know, in, in that kind of a hardcore style. And yeah. And just in terms of like mental confidence, I mean, I, before I even interviewed Jack, we talked for over an hour, two days before that, uh, in person at uh, the national guard armory. And he's just not just charming, but just mentally, very mentally competent. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I always say, like, when people say Jack's crazy, I'm like, eh, Jack's crazy like a fox. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't think that Jack would fail any kind of, like, mental competency test in, in, in like, a, like, a real psychological evaluation. I think there's stuff going on there. I mean, he's been wrestling too long. But I think Jack knows a lot of what he's doing. It's just that... When you get into this, you know, I mean, it's really popular to talk about Breaking Bad right now and that, that moral ambiguity thing, mm-hmm. which, you know, the last decade of TV, good TV has kind of been built on. Um, Jack fits into that. You know, like, I feel like Jack's somebody who probably, like, would take care financially of his grandma and right. never, never, and never say anything publicly about it, in, to, you know, in any way to either A, embarrass her or B, gloat. And yet, you know, he's also somebody who cracks somebody in the head with a baseball bat, you know? Well, I mean, there is that, you know, I mean, that's people are multifaceted. There was always, you know, Ty Cobb, you could go for days and just read one story after another about him just doing horrible, horrible things, you know, uh, pulling a handicapped person out of the crowd and beating on him because he booed him and all these other things. But then there were all kinds of stories about him sending money to other players that didn't have any that were older, you know, and, and, and never saying anything about it and privately, you know, uh, uh, you know, sending these guys a check on a regular basis because he was a yeah, Coca-Cola main. Depicted in Cobb, they sneaked that oh, in there. I love that movie. Yeah. You know, well, when, I watched it recently, and it, it, it's, I still love that movie, and I love Tommy Lee Jones' portrayal, but it doesn't age as well as I thought it would. Not that it sucks, but it's just like, I mean, it's Robert Wool. I believe that's the, the lead. It could be. Yeah, lead. no, he, he definitely, he plays Al Stump. And uh, it could yeah. be him that, because, well, one of the things about a lot of movies, when you go back to a movie that's a period piece like that, so that's a movie that takes place, I think, in the 70s, and it was filmed in the 90s. And when you go back and look at it, it looks like the 90s, which kind of throws you, you know, the makeup effects, the hairstyles. Maybe. That I always kind of it's more for me it's more the tone. It's that you know uh, Robert Wool and this is you know watching half of the movie I caught it on AMC like three months ago, but I, he makes things a little too cute and and hey maybe it's a screenwriting. Yeah. You know it was one of those things where like there's some really heavy stuff in there. Yes, very much. I wouldn't say it's not played for laughs. It, well, but no, but Robert Robert Wool smirks at the end of every line he delivers in right. anything. Right, and it's like, and I don't hate, uh, there's times when I do find him, you know, I like I like his cuteness, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but in that movie, it was like, it didn't, I didn't like the way it played next to, like, Tommy Lee Jones' portrayal. Like, Tommy Lee Jones is, like, looking in the mirror, and he's all bloody, and he's messed up, and, and he's like, this is what it looks like, this is this is what it is, or something. That's what I'm saying, he says. Yeah. And it's like a really, jar- there's several jarring scenes, I mean, he almost, he, he acts like he's going to rape that one woman, and then oh. I think he gives her money to say that Gives her money to say together. that she slept with him, and he was the greatest ever. Right. right. There's some like crazy stuff going on in yeah. there, and I almost feel like the, the stumpy uh, depiction, whether it was the writing or, or, or the directing or wall, just wall acting, like it, it messed with me upon rewatch, because I, I was in love with the movie in totality in, in the 90s. I was also a teenager, though. You, know, you look right. at things a little differently. No, now, how we gotten here? What, well, <laughs> look, it, it, this is also important though because you say in the '90s you were a teenager and you look at things differently. What I noticed listening to the last time we talked, 
re-listening to it today, one of the things you talked about was how uh, you talked about how there you had a bin of chair shots and you would go to these chair this chair shot footage whenever you needed it and how you were were surprised that you were desensitized to watching people getting concussions and you talked about how the concussions were you know hard for you to watch at first and you know you kind of uh saw so many that you got past it but here's the thing I was in that arena in the 1990s. Those chair shots didn't bother me at all. I loved seeing them. And then I look at them yeah. now, and all the time I'll be watching uh, old wrestling and go, oh, geez, oh. You know, and you have this, you know, that you flinch because it's not something you would see anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's like you you pretty much laid it out really well. Like, yeah, the, the bins for blood and the, the, the reel for chair shots and to a lesser extent the table stuff or just while you know the miscellaneous file but yeah you you do you, you you watch it and you get desensitized to it and then you're still desensitized but you realize that you are and you have a conversation about it so intellectually you almost you feel sad that you that you care holistically but you don't care specifically if that makes right. any sense yeah no 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 exactly and it's completely bizarre. I don't, it's weird because, again, like I think when a lot of people talk to me, they presuppose, and part of this is just the way, like, not, it's not even really my marketing or, or, or my quote-unquote team of two other people. Um, like, it was never put out there like, ECW super fan, you know, gives a love letter to ECW. Right. And I think that kind of kind of washed out in the... Um, in the reviews, I mean, half the reviews just picked up on this, you know, semi-lazy narrative that other people were pushing of like, oh, they're super fans making a documentary. And like, they were trying to help us. Like, even in radio interviews or podcast interviews, rather, people would bring me on and be like, now you and Kevin Kiernan, this is a labor of love, which is true, um, because you guys are huge ECW fans as teenagers and it's taking all these years and you stuck with it because you love ECW or something, you know, sure. and it's not true at all. It's not true at all. Yeah. Um, and like, I feel, I, I don't even think about it too much the last few months, but like, I still feel, I guess if, if, if you trap me in a conversation, I feel conflicted about it, but it's easier when you're not pressed. But there's this weird thing going where like, I feel like I have to say, that I need to make it clear that I don't like rubber stamp all this stuff and think it's the greatest thing ever. Right. Um, the story of the, of everybody is not just as an underdog business story and as human beings uh, is fascinating to me, and that's why we finished it, and that's why we're proud of it. As but you should be, yeah. I don't, yeah, but I don't like. I still, you know, I actually started watching like older wrestling again, and some of, some of the more modern stuff now that I have a little bit more time. I don't ever pop in ECW stuff. Um, I, I don't, you know, maybe I will at some point, but like, I don't really want to see that style. But, and, and when I talk about what I like about ECW, it has a lot more to do with character driven stuff, storylines, you know, attitude, um, production, um, the grittiness of it, the, you know, the, the interesting human aspects of it. Um, but I'm never like, oh my god, this match or that match. Like, I don't even have like a catalog, catalogic, if that's the word, knowledge of it anymore. But at the same time, if people smash ECW in conversation with me, I do get defensive. Like it's still a part of a, it's a team that I felt I, I identified with. It's almost like if you like the Philadelphia Phillies a lot as a teenager. And then, you know, the, the, the front office and the management stuff was a mess. Right. Um, or, or actually, you know what's better? A New York Yankees. Only because the Yankees are Wait, wait did you hit a button on your phone? Because it sounded like we bleeped you. Oh, <laughs> it sounded no. Like, no, New York it sounded Yankees like you really hated <laughs> You were like, you really hated those Yankees. <laughs> those no, no. Those Yankees. They are kind of the evil empire, but no. <laughs> I don't know. I'm more of a sports atheist than anything, but I only bring it up only because it's probably more apt in that, like, the Stein. If you look back at like that era with Steinbrenner, especially towards you know the middle and end of it, you're like, well, he did all these horrible. You talk with other Yankees fans about all the horrible things that that went on with the organization and 
the, the ruination of it and blah, blah, blah. But if somebody else goes, yeah, the Yankees just, you know, there's an organization they suck. You turn to that guy and you're like, well, wait a minute. No, there's a lot more to it, you know. Right. I think that's where I'm kind of at with ECW, where I feel like you can't in totality praise or or hate ECW. Like, I just, I don't feel it's correct or nuanced, you know, and I don't want myself yeah. attached to either either extreme position. Oh, God, I just made, like, a, a what is that, a pun? or Ruin the extreme. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. See, you have to, have to watch I, your words. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think with with something like ECW, where there is no new product being made, um, it, it could almost become harmful to sort of only watch that because you're basically getting yourself into some kind of weird loop where you're watching something that will never produce new content for you, and it's almost like punishing yourself. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know what? Things were always better before for some people, or they were the worst thing in the world, and. Like, I, I'm not somebody who thinks, I'm not one of these people who goes, man, what we really need is the attitude era back. I don't think that is a perfect reaction to the idea of, like, PG, quote-unquote PG era WWE television. Yeah. Like, I don't think that bringing, you know, Vince Russo-style influenced, you know, scripting and, you know, quasi-shoots, and all these things that were new and interesting and exciting and cringeworthy, whatever, or and even hands. the whole kick, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> or even the whole kick brawl style. Like, it's like I think I'd still like the persona of Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 32 now. I think I'd still, I don't know if relate is the right word, but I think I'd still be somewhat enamored with the rise of a character like that. But the funny thing is, by that point. You know, his body was really wrecked oh, these yeah. last few years. Yeah, of, 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 his you know, moveset was... most famous run. Oh, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's very kick-punch. Um, and especially when it goes to, like, stadium shows, like, people look back at that WrestleMania 17 main event, and it's not that it's a bad match, but I, I've watched it within the last, like, four or five months, and it's very over-the-top. And it's very kick-punch. It's very set-up raw stuff. It's, like, it's it's... it's you know, it really is that quintessential, like, peak of the Attitude Era. And it's not, like, I think we're, we're actually, as, as wrestling fans, you know, despite, despite all the, the bickering that always exists, you know, among yeah. super fans, and with, with, now that we all have uh, the internet and, and social media, it's actually a lot better, you know, uh, for me, at least in, uh, I should say for my taste, um, as far as, like, the working ability, like, you're, your mid and lower card guys are so much more competent wrestling wise, more athletic. Mm-hmm. The bumps are, are are still pretty amazing and yet safer to a degree, unless you're Seth Rollins, because I, I'm pretty sure that guy's going to be in a wheelchair by the time I, he's like 35. I couldn't believe last week when he when he flipped over on his head twice during the show on purpose. <laughs> I um, I, mean, I was talking take to a bump. Why would you want to risk snapping your neck during it? There's a lot of ways to take a bump, for God's sakes. It was jarring enough to me, who watches a lot of, you know, wrestling in general, and, and like we've talked about, is semi-desensitized to some of this stuff. Um, I, the stuff. One of the prominent wrestling journalists called me for, for something else entirely, and my first question to him was, hey, have you heard any reports about Seth Rollins? Is he okay? Yeah. You know, this is like the morning after. Yeah. Um, because I was just like, really like, oh, wow, somebody should get to this guy and say, hey, even half that bump is pretty impressive and you're, you're already in a good spot. Like, right. Let's, let's see you doing this in 10 years, man. Like, you're good. Yeah, I know. It, it, it really is. It really is something. Now, I think a lot of people, ECW and the Attitude Era and all that, a lot of people are the same age I am where they were teenagers then, and it surprises me that they aren't adapting to wanting something that's less like that. I I watch wrestling now with my wife and my son. I'm so glad I'm not watching Bubba Ray chew out a fan and talk about his mother. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I yeah. mean, I got to tell you, that yeah. stuff was probably the most shocking thing to me because I remembered it and it had I had kind of, you know, forgotten it because he's been around for so long since then. And I'm watching this stuff where he's antagonizing a guy who can't hit him. I mean, you know, you go up to a fan and say, go ahead, take your best shot. I mean, he knows that's not going to happen. He knows if it does happen, security's there and there's 20 other wrestlers and he's bigger than the guy in the first place. And then to sit there and just call out somebody's, you know, daughter or mother or whatever like that. Just I mean, and I know it's 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 part of the show, but it's not part of the show for that guy. And I, I to me, that really yeah. bugs me. I've heard some pretty lame, very I don't want to say self-righteous, but some self-assured arguments. Um, but people that I think are pretty smart, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. It was just, I, it just comes off to me as, as, um, oh, what's the word? Where, where, where you're just like, you, you, they could do no wrong kind of a thing. Right. Like, well, I don't want to say it's at the level of a sycophant, but it's definitely like, um, those certain people bleed ECW still to this day. Yeah. They still maintain friendships from it. And that's where it gets kind of sticky. Cause one of the things, you know, and I, you know, I'm friends with certain people. Not, and I don't. I mean, people focus so much on wrestlers, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Again, the, the language thing. I'm glad that you don't have it. Um, I'm not a star fucker. And I feel not like a yet, lot of wrestlers, one day you might. <laughs> one day I might. Be. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, oh I see. <laughs> I was like, "What is his theory?" And it just is like, "Oh, it's pretty obvious what he means." And they um, literally, yeah. oh, never mind. All right, go on. Um, yeah, it's just one of these things where like people focus so much on, on wrestlers, and, I, and I'm doing one of my one of my million of asides, of course. But I I am friends with people who are journalists who are close to ECW and fans who are close to it, and wrestlers, uh, behind the scenes people, and the thing that you've got to realize with these people is they do not want to break ranks because they take it all very that time period as a team thing that's very again i'll use the word holistic for lack of a better term um they have trouble separating uh, like, like the dudley's thing like i said they're smart people who defend the dudley's thing and really when you get to the root of it it's that they you know they might still be in contact with the dudley's and they like you know devon and bubba personally as, as real life people who aren't characters and they feel, I mean, maybe it's been explained to them why it's done or there's been this justification for 15 years now. I mean, the mass transit thing, I could not get people to break ranks on that. It was always, well, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe they use the word, maybe Jack shouldn't have done that. Um, but you know, the kid lied yeah. as if it's somehow like, okay, then to do what he did. But it was really hard to get these people to kind of emotionally or intellectually all these years later deal with those things as separate issues. Right. Like, it's, it's one thing if the kid lies and he's in the wrong. Like, if I, if I stole something from, you know, the 7-Eleven, you can't stab me. And I realize it's, it's not a perfect you know, analogy, but yeah. it's, it's still... People don't like to break ranks on those things. So it's, it's weird. Like, I was on a podcast. And right away, I was like, okay, these are super fans. And, I, you know, I butted heads with them a lot because they were just like, why are people so weird? I love the part in the movie where Bubba Ray Dead was yelling at those people. And I watched all those tapes, and there were so many instances where that whole, like, oh, it's part of the show thing doesn't fly. It's like, you know, it's somebody's girlfriend who was dragged to the show, or it's a dude who just yells something out, like, once in the anonymity of a crowd, but it's not even, like, something horrible. I mean, Bubba Ray Dudley and that is, is what one... you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. God's sake. Right, exactly. Wrestling. There's one where Bubba Ray Dudley, like, goes up, and it's such a weird line because he's almost always playing character to the point where I, I was told by a few people that in June at a TNA, like, fan fest thing in Boston, he was asked about our movie. I didn't even know he had seen it. Um, and he, he liked it. And I would have thought he would have torn it apart. Yeah. But he liked it, and I was told by people off the record, it's because he likes that, that he loves being that character, mm-hmm. and he likes even people in a real 
in a real life like documentary where it's out of character saying like how crazy it was. He likes that that over the line like what where does reality start begin? And there's one scene in the movie. Well, it's a clip. We couldn't obviously show everything he did, but there's one thing that where like, he's standing in a crowd yelling at a guy, and that's actually in the um, the balcony of the of the Elks Lodge. He stopped the show, he went up there, and he browbeat the kid, which is weird enough. But he breaks in the middle of it, and you don't have the full context. It's in, that part is in the movie, but you don't have the, 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 the run-up to it. Where he's like, okay, this is no, no longer a show. Talking to you man-to-man, take a shot at me, go ahead, yeah. tough guy. And yeah. he's like, he, you can see that kid, looks, he's about to cry, and the audience, wrapped up in that moment, thinks it's like this great thing. And like... For me, it's like, that's really messed up to do to somebody. You know what I mean? Right, like, what right. did he really do? But Bubble would justify it as it's part of the show. I didn't really mean it. That guy must know that. And I feel like that's not necessarily true. You know? No, no. I, I, I mean, I CM Punk did this recently uh, to a much lesser degree, but he chewed out some guy in the crowd for booing him. And it bothered me at home. Now, part of me said, I don't even know if there is a person he's pointing at. This could just be shtick because they mm-hmm. never showed the famous Flair thing. Yeah, where Flair would call somebody fat boy and he was pointing at nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if it was that or not. But to me, if I go to a wrestling event, particularly if I'm at a WWE event with 15,000 people, I should be allowed to boo the heel and say whatever I want to him within the bounds of, of, of reasonable taste. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. be a star. <laughs> well, that, that was interesting, too, because Punk was a face, and he kind of did an aside, yeah. and you have to use the crowd with him on it. And I don't know. It's weird. See, I didn't find that bothersome at all. I guess because he didn't, like, really, he, I mean, he used the generic. And then you get into, <laughs> we're, we're going to go so far off the beaten path sure. if you really look at it. Then it becomes a question of like, oh well, fast a generic term that's somehow allowed, right? When I mean, you couldn't, and, and Bubby gets in trouble because he calls someone gay because it's a sexuality question, which is a hot button issue. Sure. Whereas it's still kind of okay to yell at people who are overweight if you're mad at them. If they're a jerk, their weight really doesn't have anything to do with it. But it's right. this simplistic thing that somehow somehow semi socially acceptable. Yeah. And then on the other side, it becomes a question which I don't want to, you know. You don't want to broach of like, oh, well, now we have to have word police for everything. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost situational. But I think in this conversation, we seem to agree that Bubba might have gone over the line once or twice or 15 yeah. times. Let, let me ask you this, because this is something that blows my mind watching older wrestling, uh, particularly ECW from that era, is how entire crowds would chant homophobic things like it was nothing. Oh, that blows my mind, too. Um, and ECW was like crazy for the things that they would do and say. I interviewed, and I was uh, there. I probably chanted it, and now I watch <laughs> it, and I can't even believe that anybody would have chanted it. It just, you know, it shocks me that I'm not watching something from a hundred years ago. There's one clip that I actually asked Francine about when I met with her over the summer, and she didn't really remember it because it's just, you know, part and parcel for the, for the job, I guess, but. Like, Bill Alfonso is yelling at her, and they're both heels. And it's like the opening segment, and again, it's in New York, it's the Elks Lodge. And out of nowhere, he delivers this line, um, everybody knows that Francine has a pussy this wide or something, and he, like, holds up, like, a goalpost. <laughs> and it just was so over the top to me, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I asked her if, like, they talked about things like that, because she was very sexualized uh, as, as a villain in her role that she semi-played into, but not completely. Right. And um, <laughs> she was just like, you know, again, it's that whole, like, teen thing. She's like, oh, I didn't know that was coming, but, you know, that's fine, that's funny, you know. It was funny, and then, you know what, they're f- they were friendly at the time. But it was almost more shocking, not only because he said it, but the, the, the pop he got was like, you know, Austin winning the title. <laughs> right. Um, and I don't know why that's like the greatest thing. Like match results on that night were not as uh, were not met with as much enthusiasm. <laughs> well, so the whole audience, the whole audience of ECW thing is one of those. You know, that's one of those things that you know. Had we had more time, um, there's only so many things you could focus on. But that's you know something kind of interesting is the the audience.
audience's uh, reaction to things, the crudeness, the misogyny of it. Yeah, it is is weird. There was something strange about that crowd, though, how uh, that crowd could could turn and and all go together in any direction. And they it was almost like one person. Uh, I remember the night that Sabu left and Paulie comes down to the ring and talks about it. And this crowd was so upset that they weren't seeing Sabu. They loved Sabu. By the end of his promo, they hated Sabu. They were so glad they weren't seeing Sabu. They never wanted to see Sabu again. Yeah, so they have Sabu too. Well, he was a master manipulator. Yeah. Uh, I don't see that to paint him as, as an evil. He's probably the most interesting, nuanced character that I might ever have a chance to document, you know? Um... I, I had those footage that, again, it didn't fit into anything with our narrative. But one of his, because he would always come out and do the New York speeches, because he very much identified with being a New Yorker. Um, so the minute he could move kind of the, the, the focus of the company in New York, he did. And he would come out and give these rah-rah speeches and these updates on, on random, you know, the, the, the revolution, the fight. And some of that is in, in, the, in the film. But there's one speech where he goes on for like 10 minutes, so like Sandman left. And I happen to know the Sandman left because he wasn't getting paid uh, yes. what he was promised. And, you know, these guys, like, what else are they doing? That's their job. Like, if, if you weren't paid for weeks and you kept showing up at work, and, you, and your job, by the way, was like physically, you know, violent, and, and you had to work through concussions, and they didn't always have the money to even pay for your medical bills. And on top of that, you're you're not being paid. Like you probably leave too, especially if that job's competitor said, "Hey, guaranteed money, a lot less dates, and you're going to be making over 200 grand." Like I think that's kind of a no-brainer, even if there's a lot of loyalty there, because I feel like you're breaking some of that loyalty by stringing people along financially. Mm-hmm. So he comes out and he does this speech, and basically, I wish. I wish I knew by bullet points now, but it's been a while. But he basically says, like, oh, I'm not mad at Sandman. You know, everything's his right, and, you know, um, I will leave it for you to decide. It's like this weird, like, Pontius Pilate moment where he's like, oh, I don't hate Sandman. I'll let you, you, the ECW fans who I love, decide. And then he very, very overtly and manipulatively buries Sandman over particulars, which I'm sure were twisted, about how Sandman said he wasn't going to leave and he loves ECW, but he didn't finish the dates he was booked for, and Heyman never mentions that he wasn't being paid. And he gets this audience to start chanting, like, fuck Sandman or something like that, which is one of their, like, signature people. And you brought up Sabu in those days, was a god to those people. So he was definitely, you know, there was definitely, with chants, a lot of different times, it was very organic, but there was also something where they were being manipulated to do certain things, you know, and right. they may have known and they may not have, but that was there too. So tell me, uh, last time we talked, you mentioned that you, you had an idea to do something with the footage you had of Public Enemy for, for the family of those guys. Have you, have you thought more about that? Yeah, but not in a way that'll make wrestling fans happy. <laughs> um, you would ask originally, like your first question, I never even answered, which was how was the New York thing and everything. Yeah. And I was kind of getting around to like, you know, uh. basically saying like the monetary thing versus what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very pleased. I don't know that I'll ever have the opportunity again to have my movie premiere in Manhattan and be on a marquee and like a Live Nation theater or in, like, a grand old theater in Chicago, or, you know, the obvious one, although it's not as prestige to, to the rank and file, but having a movie premiere in the ECW, you know, was, was a really nice night. Mm-hmm. You know, not just as, just as a wrestling fan, but really just as somebody going through this journey and doing it with your childhood best friend, with friends and family there, and just well-wishers. And... So that's all, you know, that's great, and it makes me happy, but, you know, financially, those things, like, did not work out the way I would have liked. Um, um, and I thought, well, I thought that we were protected from that, and it wasn't, you, you realize that it isn't the case, and then you, you start to, like, I'm, a, I'm somebody who, you know, on a good day, I can call myself a filmmaker. Um, like, I'm not 
you know, I didn't go to business management school, mm-hmm. you know, and so you have to put some stuff in the hands of other people because you, A, don't have the expertise, or in my case, a lot of times you don't feel comfortable doing certain things. You need to be insulated in a way, especially as the quote-unquote public face of something like this because Kevin, you know, just didn't want to do public things, and I mm-hmm. thank him for, you know, even showing up at these things and hanging out. Um, so you get caught in this thing where you, you realize, like, I have to do all of this. Or, you know, it's either, you know, surrounding yourself, like, what does it mean to surround yourself with good people, especially when you have such small options? You know, there's only so much you can kind of vet people that you've known. And, and some of it's mistakes and some of it's just, you know, people telling you things will be okay and they're not. And, uh, and it's a little frustrating. Right. But on the other side of it, the more frustrated you become, then it's like, well, is it all about money? You know, is it that? It's not life-changing money. You know, it's a couple hundred here or there, which would make you feel good because you made this product and you want to be somehow compensated for it, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, like, not just with the, the premieres, but, like, shipping issues and different things that that I had to start taking over. It was just frustrating because I just, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to be the ECW documentary guy mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be labeled as that. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you should do this with it. And you should put out each interview separately. It's like, I don't, I don't want to be the, you know, that's, I would like to do other things with my life. I would like to be known for doing a lot of cool creative things and, you know, just experiences outside of creativity, you know. So, another thing is just the market's not so huge for a lot of these things. And and it's tough enough, you know, piracy was a big issue for this, for this documentary. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you would get so, I didn't realize beforehand a, I was really proud of, you know, we got 90% good reviews in that first month. And even the people who picked at things overall were like, yeah, you should go see it. Um, but the problem in the game, which I didn't think of the correlation, the minute these reviews were everywhere for a few weeks, everybody just went to a torrent site, you know? Yeah. And how, how quickly can you fight those, you know? There's only so... It's only so hard and, and quickly you can fight those without having a real team. And then a lot of these bigger sites, like, you know, like a Pirate Bay, mm-hmm. uh, they're in a, it's, in a, it's a site based on illegal things, you know. Yeah. So it's not like you can write a letter to them and they'll go, oh, we'll take down your illegal <laughs> thing. Right. Yeah, it's like, not I'm YouTube. I'm a nobody. Yeah. Yeah, well, if, if, yeah, exactly. At least with YouTube, you know, you, just, you write them uh, an email from an official account and hopefully they get to it, you know quickly some sometimes it's four days and you're like oh great yeah um but yeah with something like pirate Bay, he's not taking down brad pitt movies what do they care about john phil Savage? you know yeah it that i so mean that, kind of, that shocks me yeah. though because i i grew up in, in in a different era and in my era there you would never think of doing that it was just you know you would never think of of stealing things that way and the fact that i know so many people now that say oh well i'm going to download it i mean if they're not offering it for free on netflix then i've got to download it you know it's like i the the concept of paying for it isn't there it has to be lumped in with some package that i'm already getting or else i'm entitled to go get it for free yeah, it's amazing. Especially amongst wrestling fans, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And especially when it leaves the outer ring. Like, I think we did okay that first the first few weeks. But once people who hadn't followed our story or kind of knew of our story or had heard me, you know, speak on this podcast, um, once it gets outside of the, 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 like, inner ring to people who are, like, a friend of a friend said, go see this. They don't know who I am. They don't know my story. They don't care. You know, to them, it doesn't matter that, like, we're not even a real company. You know what I mean? Like, I guess yeah, they're stealing directly off. from you, you know, not uh, from some large conglomerate, which even that I can't justify, because if you steal from the large conglomerate, the executive doesn't go home without pay. It's the cleaning lady goes home without pay. You know, you. I think that no matter what yeah. it is, but on this occasion, you know, directly people buy this movie and let's give the address now so our good listeners can can go and buy it if they haven't seen it already. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, uh, Um and you can either get the DVD, 
mm-hmm. or you can get. We now have a, a, a video on demand, or you just download a, an MP4 of it for for nine ninety nine. It's a bargain. Yeah. And, I mean, it yeah. is a great. The only movie. thing you don't get is you don't, don't get you don't all get the bonuses. Is, yeah, you don't get the extras. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about the bonuses are so great. And m- part of my problem is I've watched the bonuses and the film so many times I can't remember what stuff was in the bonuses and what stuff was not. You know, I can't remember what footage had been cut, you know, because I've now seen it all so many times. The other thing, and, and again, I'm, I'm not kidding when I say I, I remembered you guys and I really liked you. And that's why <laughs> I remembered you. It's because you're like normal dudes who like you care about wrestling, but you're, 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 your whole focus of your podcast isn't just about wrestling anyway. And you, you, it's obvious that you guys have other thoughts than wrestling. You're not within a bubble. Um, we and like to talk about fr- Robert Wall movies a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, another frustrating thing is that, like, you get on these podcasts to promote it, and the people watch it, and they obviously really care about wrestling. And I, I think that's cool, because I care about wrestling, too. Yeah. But they, they had a lot of trouble um, thinking in real-world documentary terms versus, right. like, somebody who's just so invested in that genre, in that subculture. And, I mean, I had, like, a three-minute argument with somebody on a wrestling podcast. The two hosts were very upset that the TWA uh, wasn't the beginning of the film. And I said, well, it was an extra. And they're like, well, why isn't it in the body of the film? And I'm like, well, you got it as an extra. And they're like, yeah, but that's the start of the story. And I'm like, well, we did plan for yeah. that. And then we cut it, and Kevin looked at me. And Kevin's not a wrestling fan. And he cares about making an actual real-world documentary right. and not just, like, some kind of you know, wrestling release, which is really what I'm getting at is that difference in the, yeah. the line that people don't see. And he just said, John, this is boring. And I yeah. fought for it for a few minutes. And then he, you know, the next, I watched it twice without him. And I went to him the next day. I said, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you know, that I argued that with you. Because it isn't a very interesting or dynamic way to start the story. And for super fans, yes, that might be the start of the story. But for a regular person, they're like, what, what does this have to do with anything? It's not even the same company. The only real connection is like when it folds, the inciting incident to talk in screenwriting terms is that Todd Gordon doesn't go, crap, I lost a bunch of money. Right. You know, I should get, should get away from this and just watch <laughs> it on TV. He goes, I got to start one of these, you know. <laughs> I got to be in control of it with you know, still using my money. So those are the kind of things you run into. And it's like, it was frustrating because I had to pull, well, we had like a press package thing that I had to uh, do a rough draft of where I just pulled quotes from reviews and I've got like five or six of these quotes I called Kevin and I said I don't know how to use these quotes because normal people won't know what it means right. um, because we were trying to do more marketing towards you know your your film festival type people your people who are like oh that's just a documentary that happens to be about wrestling instead of like a wrestling product which is not it was never our intention and I hated when the argument was the, the debate about the film was kind of framed around something like that. As if everybody has watched The Rise and Fall or, or Forever Hardcore. Right. Yeah. Most Here... people don't know of any of them. Most people have never heard of ECW. Yeah. You know? And it's not to downplay it. I was a big fan. But in the real world, people know Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and maybe one or two others, depending. Right. So well... I, would, I would pull these quotes, and it would be like, this is an actual documentary. Yes. And um, I had like five that were some variation on like, wow, this is good because it's an actual documentary. And I was like, we can't use these quotes because even though they're praising us to a regular person, they'd be like, well, yeah, of course it, it says on the box it's a documentary. Why wouldn't it be a documentary? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but here's those, the are, thing. those are quotes from people who are used to seeing like wrestling releases. That's what I was going to say. We we have never reviewed on this show a WWE documentary because they're not documentaries, and I like them and I watch them. Well, I do but too, but they're, they're, they're not. They're, yeah, exactly. They're they're promotional pieces that tell a story the way they want to tell it, and they're designed solely for people that already know ninety percent of what's in the documentary they're making. Um, and they don't, to me, they don't play like a documentary. So I felt that if we were to review one, we'd literally just have to tell people exactly what happens because there's not much else. There's no, there's no real drama beyond everything. Everybody already knows. And I mean, that's why this is, is exciting because it actually is a real documentary. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Yes. That's the whole point. You know, and, 
So there, sometimes it's like you, you, the universal you, really meaning me. Right. Um, you're on these things and you want to yell at these people because you want to be like, <laughs> like you'll get called, well, why wasn't this guy in it? Well, there's 40 some people in it and that guy was under a contract or that guy wanted, you know, some crazy money for a documentary. And if you're a documentary, A, you're on a very shoestring budget, but pretend that you weren't, it kind of biases the whole thing. I mean, the news, a documentary is just like a long form news segment in a lot of ways. It should be at least. Right. And, um, and it should be unbiased. And the news isn't going to go to you and go, hey, would you like to give quotes on this thing that we're doing a story on? By the way, here's five hundred a check for $500. It, just, it doesn't happen. But in the wrestling world, these guys do get paid to supposedly tell a real story, which is now, now is a joke because most of them use it to keep themselves in the public eye and get a payday by lying in these suppo- – it's just a new work, you know? Yeah. So I got into an argument with, with uh, Scott Levy about that. Because he thinks that people should be paid for it. And I was like, well, that's not a documentary. You're so in the wrestling world. And you've committed your life. Now you're in your 40s. You've committed yourself to this lifestyle. So you're arguing in wrestling terms when it's not my fault that you got into this business. I'm just documenting it. I don't want your autograph. I don't want a picture with you. I don't think you're... I don't think of you as a star. I think of you as an interesting person who is part of an interesting story. Right. Yeah, it's it, it is interesting. I mean, we've had uh, a handful of wrestlers on here, but we've had a lot that won't come on because we're not paying and it's not a, a, a shoot interview because of that. Whereas I do another show where I ask much bigger celebrities to come on and they always come on and none of them have ever asked for money. It's just it's a it's a whole yeah. different mentality. So and give the you know, give the website again. Do you still have T-shirts? Because I st- I get comments all the time, especially when I go to Phillies games in that T-shirt. Oh yeah, we do. Um, yeah, we really. You know, to be honest with you, since like the initial release, with there was like a package deal to get a T-shirt with the DVD and like a poster. I don't know that I that we've sold. Uh, and since June, I've been kind of, I kind of took over managing, you know, all of this stuff because I felt more comfortable doing mm-hmm. it. Um, and I felt like it would get done if I did it. Um, I don't think I've ever just had an order for just a t-shirt. Yeah, people should um, get them I still, we still do. I mean, we ran out, we re-upped on a few. We have like low levels of them. Right. Uh, for several sizes. But like, yeah, like if you want a t-shirt, go to the website. It's a one cool thing, black T-shirt I, I, with you know with the with the image of the of the cover on it. It's real nice looking. Oh, I love that image and I love the T-shirt. It's like usually when you have something in your head and you're not an artist, you're screwed. Because I had that image forever yes. in my head for I'm talking like a de- over a decade, and I figured whatever people come up with based on what I verbalize is not going to be what I want. And hopefully, it's something different and good at least. And that's the image that I had in my head. I'm like super happy about that. Well, John Philip so, yeah, it's, uh, it's barbwirecity.com. You can get a DVD, you can get a poster, you can get t-shirts. Go get it. The poster's awesome. Looks like one of those old event posters, you know, from the 1960s. John, thanks so much for talking to us. I want to talk to you down the road again. I'm I'm, I'm very interested in hearing, you know, the story of what else you want to do uh, in, in any industry, because I think you're a fantastic guy and just a, a thrill to talk to. Well, thank you, guys. I, I appreciate it, and I love, I love coming on the show. Oh, and the answer, real quick, the answer is, uh, if Mike Johnson gets his way, I'll do some kind of petty thing, but or a public enemy thing. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just, it's a lot of work for next to no money. Right, yeah. And, you know, I, I do, this isn't really my full-time job anymore. Sure. So, I, you know, i got to have a life, too. And I want to keep doing creative things, but I, I need to eat. Right, and that so, stuff's I mean, not as easy as it sounds, you know, or, or would be yeah. to somebody from the outside. You think, oh, that, you know, should take you a couple yeah. couple hours, you know. No, it would be a month. <laughs> I thought you were going to say whether or not you tapped to the wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I still, you know what? I'm seriously thinking of going home tonight and watching that based off of, I have, I have it on DVD and I haven't watched it, you know, since I bought the DVD. You should. It's, because, it's... Of, because of you guys, I'm like, oh, I really did like that movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I talked about on the show that 
it played, it still to me was a stellar, wonderful movie, but it didn't play as good to me now. And I think your documentary is one of the things that took away from the power of that movie was that movie showed a side of wrestling I had never seen depicted on my television. I had seen it in person, but not on my television. And now since then, I've seen a lot of other things. ESPN did that thing on Scott Hall. And, you know, I've seen lots of, you know, footage in, in many other ways that to me uh lessened the impact of that movie on a repeat viewing i totally agreed with what you were saying by the way i just, right away i thought of uh, wrestling shadows when yeah. i got wrestling with shadows i was so blown away by it mm -hmm. and it's not that it's any better or any worse um but now it's common like i, I watched that movie and it doesn't seem yeah. shocking behind the scenes stuff like that right so I mean, that takes away some of your lore of it it blew your mind at the time i mean you were like that's you know they're talking like they're human beings i can't imagine this exists <laughs> right exactly yeah. well john thank you so much for talking to us craig thank you for joining me as always thank you it's always a pleasure and thank you to you for listening and we'll see you next time right here on camel clutch cinema so you want to wrestle huh? you're too little we got ushers bigger than you leave i gotta take a crap don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to pin it? What's that smell? Down goes Jimmy King. Oh my God, a four-post massacre. No one can survive this. This isn't even a pay-per-view. Hello? Hello, is this John? Yes, oh, hey. thank God my phone worked. <laughs> when, it, when, it started, when it started ringing, the phone the phone was just black. Like, it's ringing, but there was no screen to touch anything. Well, now that's scary. I have, like, a, a low-level uh, uh, Android, so I was like, oh, you know, I don't have the money to replace you right now, Android. <laughs> you know what? You got to get the most mileage out of those phones possible. I I cracked the screen on my phone and I kept it for 19 months. I was like, I was like, I will glue this. I will put tape on it. I'll do anything I can to not have to replace it. I'm the, I'm the same way. I don't have a, a, a deal where I get like a free phone every like right. 18 months or whatever. So, but I don't have an iPhone. Well, like everybody that I know who has an iPhone, their screen is cracked. They walk around with it. <laughs> And like I don't see that with the Android. That's I guess. Well, maybe it's yeah. Maybe it's well. It's it, that it, gorilla it, glass. Yeah, or it's. I was gonna say maybe it's built-in obsolescence. They were like, mm -hmm. hey, you know, they want everybody to replace these quite a lot. We gotta gotta put some cheap glass on there. Um, this, this is why I love this podcast because you guys use words like obsolescence, like it's something you don't get on most wrestling podcasts. I know, but sadly, sadly, we're not even on yet. We haven't we haven't started. Maybe we should keep this though because. It's so <laughs> exhilarating for the listener.